uh, hot springs down there. And I remember thinking about the fifth grade, now why would anybody go to old hot springs when they could go watch the Cincinnati Reds play? I mean, <laughs> at the time, so now that I'm older and I've got some arthritis, now I understand. And he had polio and, and arthritis, I believe, and that the warm hot springs felt so good and do feel so good when and when you're sore and tired it's called a balm a balm for your body and a balm is an old-fashioned biblical word that means uh any well it it meant a, a fragrant ointment that would soothe irritated skin and today though it's it's expanded it means any Anything that can help make you feel better in trying times. The uh, roughly two twenty five hundred years ago, the Lord sent a balm to the people, his exiles in Babylon. In his kindness, he sent a prophetic word from Isaiah, amazingly spoken one hundred and fifty years earlier. They were in severe tribulation. They had been captured, forced to march, and now they sorely needed something. And what the Lord sent them was the offer of an ability to soak in his glorious, the, the awe of his glorious power and might, despite their circumstances, so that they could trust him more with their lives. Brothers and sisters, this balm is available to us today. And like hot mineral springs to sore arthritic bodies, um, when what God provides, it feels wonderful. It's a so my my in the next thirty minutes, I want to talk about His providing this awe, this this balm, this awe that that we can enjoy of Him and how it can help us trust him more with our lives. My text is Isaiah 40, verses 21 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. 
But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. Lord, would you uh, be with us? May the word of my mouth uh, be acceptable in your sight. And Lord, will you open this word to us so that we might walk more and trust you more by the, at the end of this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the burden of this passage is that the Lord wants to strengthen his people by persuading them of three things. One, who he is. Two, how great his power is. And three, how his people can access that power. Well, go back with me to the year 550. Five, 550 B.C. Imagine you're among the Jewish exiles in Babylon. Consider how horrible this experience had been for them. They had, it wasn't just a break from the ordinary, let's go to Babylon uh, for a vacation. Uh, they had been, their city had been destroyed. They had, their little ones, uh, many had been killed. Uh, they, and these are only the ones who had escaped the edge of the sword had been forced to march uh, to Babylon. The cruel Babylonian king had, had uh, not only put the eyes out of their king, but had also slaughtered his sons in front of him, in, in front of the king. Here, imagine the, the disappointment. You had been promised by God to have a king forever reigning in Jerusalem, ruled by a son of David. But now you're captive in a land hundreds of miles away. Um, To get there, forced to walk in chains, about 700 miles. And uh, that's about the the length, about the Trail of Tears, that the Cherokee Indians were forced to march from Tennessee to Oklahoma, just for comparison. Once you were dominant, Power. The Lord had chosen you to be his special people in his special land. And under David and Solomon, your, king was, your kingdom was extensive. And now you're impoverished in, uh, in chains, famine and disease. All, well, you, you would learn and, and you should have known that God would punish wickedness and he did. In verse 27, Isaiah emphasizes their exhaustion by using the words faint and weary three times in the space of three verses. They were not just weak in body, but weak in spirit. They had thought that Jerusalem could never be defeated, uh, and they especially trusted in the temple. And if you remember, Jeremiah said, don't trust in the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Um, and so the question that these exiles had, well, where, where is God in all this? Uh, is, is our God all he says he is? Could, could he have not helped us more in this trouble? It's expressed in the verses, in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God? In other words, They're saying, Lord, you're not aware of us at all. 
all those glorious promises you made um, to me and, and look at what I'm going through. You, could you even care less about what I'm going through? Where are you, Lord? You're not paying attention to my cause. They're not doing very well. They're not being reverent in, these, in, these, in their words. And they're, they're surely not singing how great thou art. They're cross-examining God, being disrespectful. Uh, like in Psalm 39, which is a, a tough, hard psalm uh, where the, the psalmist expresses his disappointment in how his life is going and how, what's happening in his life. And he said, finally, at the end of Psalm 37, Lord God, would you turn your face away from me so at least I can get a little peace before I die? Isn't it amazing that the Lord would include those thoughts in his word? Why would God include such disrespect? Uh, Tim Keller spoke to this. I wondered that myself. Uh, Tim Keller spoke to this issue and said it perplexed him too until he read a quote from commentator Derek Kintner who said that passages like these can help us because the very presence of these prayers in Scripture is a witness that God understands us. He knows and understands how desperate people think. Um, What it's saying is that we have a God of grace who understands when we go through dark times And he wants to know that he knows. We should know that he knows that he knows. When we're overwhelmed with grief and despair, uh, we we tend to view everything through that moment. And that's what the people, the exiles were doing. Point one, then, well, in the face of this despair, how does the Lord respond? Well, he answers these questions. Lord, where are you? With a question or two from him. He, he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. And then he tells them that he stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. So he begins by reassuring his people that although they've been under this cruel tyrant, he is much mightier. And the Lord wants us to take heart through this word. Uh, We can be worried about the next recession, uh, the next election, the next assault from the godless uh, agenda of, of our cultural elites who want to push God out of every corner of our lives. But if, you, if you're worried about this, if I'm worried about this, take heart. The Lord says that these are like grasshoppers and that no sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, that he blows on them and they wither. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Point two, he wants to reassure his people how great he is. This is a word of comfort that he's speaking to his people. And how do we know that? How do I know that? Because earlier in the chapter, chapter 40, he begins with, 
comfort, comfort my people in the famous oration uh, from Handel, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, which he's quoting King James. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the Lord is comforting his people. Comfort, the word comes, it's an old English word, and it comes straight from the Latin cum forte. Any musicians might know uh, if they see that little italic F in a, in a uh, composition, it means strongly, uh, loudly, right? And if it's FF, it means very loudly, very strongly. So cum forte it, it originally meant with strength. And so over 400 years, that comfort, now we think of comfort stations and all this, it really meant to strengthen, to, and so we, that's, that's, that's what the Lord wanted to do in this passage. And he did it, how? By telling them of his awesome power. He said, look up to the heavens. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Calls them each by name. There are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. Our neighboring galaxy, Andromeda, is, it's estimated there's over a billion stars. Now, since the James Webb, before Hubble, astronomers thought that there were several hundred billion galaxies in the known universe. Now, with James Webb, it's thought there's two trillion galaxies in just the uh, part of the universe that we can see. Astronomers know this, and they're stunned by these things. Something has always has perplexed me uh, ever since I read it, and it has to do with this statement of God's mighty providence and power in it out of Matthew 10, 29, where our God tells us that not a single bird falls to the ground apart from our Father. That is, apart from his providence, his, uh, his ordination, his plan. National Geographic tells us that there are roughly four, they, at a minimum, four birds for every person on earth. How many birds are there on the earth? Well, the National Geographic tells us four for every human, or as many as 20 or so. They're not, no one's sure, but they think that's a very educated guess. The, so that means there's either 50 billion or 400 billion birds. How amazing and and perplexing I thought that the Lord is caring for each bird. He knows each bird. Um, and no one, not one of them passes away and dies apart from his plan and ordination. And now, it's hope. I was perplexed, but now I see that if the Lord knows trillions of stars by name, he surely can care for 50 billion birds. And then... Okay, so why did the Lord teach that? He wanted to comfort us, to strengthen us, to know the extent of his power and providence. And 
Back to the Isaiah text. Uh, uh, one more thing about his providence. Uh, this is, is a John Piper quote. In his book, Providence, he says, that God did not intend for us to look at the world he has made and feel nothing. When the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork, it, it wasn't just to clarify our theology. He wants us to be thrilled by it, to know it, and be every day to enjoy his power and might and think about it, meditate on it. And finally, point three. The point of this text is God wanted the, his remnant to soak in his mighty power and glory. And through that, get strengthened. We might expect, maybe, as Isaiah to say, you know, in your, com- in your distress, you really need to get uh, a little more rest, have good nutrition, uh, get on a better exercise program. Um, so the Lord uh, does not do this. Um, they're good, but they can't give us the deepest strength we need when we have deep uh, d- disappointment and deep, deep um, we've come to the end of ourselves. Isaiah acknowledges this, and he says... Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall, exa- shall fall exhausted. In other words, even the ones in perf- the prime of their health, young men in the perfect prime of their health will fall and uh, have limits. Um, we need a stronger strength to encourage us in our deep uh, discouragements. Remember again the context. This is addressed to a people who are about to go back to Jerusalem. Cyrus of Persia is going to release them, divine appointment again, prophesied by Isaiah, to go and uh, rebuild Jerusalem. The point is it's going to be a back-breaking journey and task. Jerusalem, it's like a tornado has hit. Their houses, their temple, everything is, is in ruins. It's all rubble. They had no heavy equipment to fit, to help. It was going to be all by hand. They were. They had to clear the land of debris and rebuild. So they were in for a big project with opposition all the way. No wonder they were a bit discouraged. But the Lord heartened them by how? By stimulating them to regain awe of His power and glory. How about us? We have a father who wants us to be in awe of his power. But having that is not automatic. We, our lives get caught up in daily routine. Uh, we get our, our blinders on and blinkered, like blinkered, uh, can't see to the left or the right, and we forget his his glory. Artists talk about this is phenomenal, uh, and it's similar, and it's called visual lethargy. They call it visual lethargy. In that, it is the, the phenomenon of the more you see something, the less you actually see it. 
So we can go, for example, we go to a new city and uh, we're excited. We drive down the road. We see a beautiful stand of trees. We see uh, a, maybe a, an awesome garden, some beautiful houses, and we're thrilled by what we see. By the, say, th week three, we drive by. This is the visual lethargy. We, see, we drive by, we're one, oh, I'm running late. I'm, you know, I'm, look, ah, traffic's congested. That, that, that awe of what we are in, what we saw before, is gone. Uh, we've stopped seeing it and being moved by it and being thankful for it. The beauty is still there, but we don't see it. Can the same thing happen to our Christian life? Can we become so familiar with the things of God that we lose our awe? Well, we know it can and does happen. But Isaiah 40 is here to help us. It teaches us that God, that the awesome truth, that God's greatness is not just a fact, but is he's there for us to help us in his power. That's who he is. The ever powerful and glorious one has come to help us and renew our strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. This isn't just about all us doing our part and then God doing his part. This is all grace. Well, does, does Jesus change all this uh, now that we're in a new covenant? Has he got a new program? Um, no. Thank God for Jesus Christ. He's the one that we look to as the author and finisher of our faith. Who could imagine that this same God who created the billions of stars would come down as a man and live and then die for us and then be raised from the dead? Wonder of wonders. He was the embodiment of awe and wonder of the Lord. He gave that up so that we could have awe and wonder in our lives. And we could possess that forever. He rose again, sent his spirit to empower us to be able to do that. This is the point Paul makes in Romans 8. We are more than conquerors, not because of our own strength, because of the strength of him who loved us loves us. Well, how does all this work? I, it's, it is a mystery how God strengthens us. Um, but have you ever boarded an airplane and looked out and you watch all the custom, uh, passengers come in and might be, if you're in a big plane, 200, and you're thinking, all this weight is coming on this plane? Um, and then you look out and see the massive engines and wondering, how are we going to get up in the air? I mean, how are we going to defy the laws of gravity? Well, soon, the, though the, air, uh, the, the law of aerodynamics, the thrust uh, does the laws of thrust um, and uh, lift overcome the drag of gravity. And that helps me understand how God lifts us. It's his power. And the, when we, as we walk with him, uh, hear his word, understand more and more about him, it, he begins to work in our hearts to lift us, to uh, make that faith work in us. And then how our confidence uh, can grow and grow in him so that by the end we are not, uh, as uh, even youths grow tired and weary, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
For us, the biggest issues of life have been settled. Our final destination, uh, our place in the Father's house. He has prepared a place for us. He's wa- and we're waiting and he's waiting for the day when he's going to bring him back uh, to himself. Finally, brothers and sisters, are you astounded that the God of the universe cares for you and knows your name? The Holy Spirit proclaims through Ephesians 1.18 that, that he, this is his desire, that our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know, among other things, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Brothers and sisters, this is our God. Be renewed then in your awe of him, for he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Amen. Uh, This is our... uh, uh, I'll pray, right? And then we'll conclude. Yeah, okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word uh, from Isaiah. Lord, will you help it to penetrate our hearts and that we might grow, be exhorted by it, and uh, leave here different than we, are, we were when we came. Amen. Now may you rise. And for the benediction. And uh, may the, now may the love, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be ours and yours now forevermore. Amen.